I am Phaedra Cook, editor and publisher of Houston Food Finder, and this is Houston Restaurant News Today for Tuesday, April 21st. I have some good news. Ideally, by, say, eh, let's say Wednesday afternoon, the 22nd. This podcast should be available on all of the major podcast feeds, so you'll be able to search for it. Just search for Houston Food Finder and hit that subscribe button. I'm super excited about that. Uh, It is not a guarantee. The uh, last time I checked on Apple Podcasts, uh, the podcast was still in review. It's been submitted. It's in review. But I don't think it's going to take longer than 24 hours. At least I hope not. Anyway, if you subscribe, if you enjoy the show, please do give us a good rating and help other people find us. Share it with your fellow food-loving friends in Houston. And if you'd like for your business to have a shout-out on this podcast, get in touch. Email us at sales at houstonfoodfinder.com. This show could use a few sponsors. I need an actual podcast mic, so be my sugar mama or my sugar daddy. Uh, I have been using my daughter's gaming headset, and you know, it works pretty well, but I think the sound quality would be better with an actual podcast mic. This episode's going to be about 15 minutes longer than the previous ones because I have my first call-in guest, and you'll find out who it is shortly. First off, I have a bit of bad news that is specific to Houston Food Finder. Last year, I would say, uh, I think it was the beginning of June 2019, I unfortunately had to announce that we were going to close because we just weren't having any luck getting a sufficient number of sponsors. It's hard. It's hard for us because we're very much a, a niche publication. We only cover Houston restaurant and bar news. We don't cover sports or gossip or general news. So I think many potential advertisers, you know, they if they see what we specialize in and they're kind of like, well, they don't, you know, really, they don't really cover a general audience. So when you, you know, you're looking at advertising with us, You need to be interested in people uh, who dine out, usually, when it's not, you know, a a COVID-19 crisis, and, you know, very interested in food and all that. So you as an advertiser, you know, you need to look at your own business and go, you know, is Houston Food Finder compatible with the audience that I'm trying to hit? So, of course, we are most simpatico with other food businesses, you know, restaurants. Restaurants and and food producers, as I've said before, I think we would be amazing with a grocery store sponsor, but that just hasn't happened yet. Maybe someday. But anyway, uh, so back last year, when it looked like we were getting ready to close, Rachel Lewis of Hometown Social who is a PR person who represents some very popular Houston restaurants like the original Ninfas, Antone's, and 
some other places that I can't think of right now, she very kindly started a GoFundMe account for us. And it literally saved our bacon. We wouldn't still be here without it. That fund initially, it was a $10,000 goal. It initially came in, I think that first month, it was like just kind of under half. It was under five grand. But it was what we needed to carry us through for another, I mean, I'm, I'm super judicious with funds and, you know, our costs are, are low. We're, we're a light and fast company. Uh, and so, I mean, between them and our regular sponsors, which thank God stayed with us, thank you Rainbow Lodge and Fat Eatery, you know, we were able to carry through another two months and then, you know, we started getting some, some new sponsors, some new contracts. Anyway, so the GoFundMe was great at first, and there's a link at the bottom of all of our articles that says if you, you know, found value in this article, uh, consider contributing to our GoFundMe account. Well, that's been nice for a while. It would bring in another five bucks, another ten bucks here and there, and that's great. It's basically like our tip jar. If if you like what we do, you know toss something in, into the tip jar. Well, I don't know what's happened, but I started getting emails uh, that so-and-so has contributed, and sometimes it was legit, and sometimes it was like, I don't know this person? I don't know. And, and it seemed like we were getting these little contributions more frequently. Now, some of them, like I said, absolutely were legit, but something has clearly flagged our account because GoFundMe rejected all of the contributions for the past three weeks. And I think it's like a couple of hundred dollars worth. And what's worse is GoFundMe had already sent us some of the money. So now that they've rejected everything for the past few weeks, which is just, it's so upsetting. Like one is, one was from, is from one of my husband's best friends who was best man at our wedding. So it's just like, it, it's just, it's upsetting. Anyway, so we're now basically in the negative with GoFundMe. So they are, they are withdrawing money from our account. So that's just a mess. So, and I've contacted GoFundMe twice now. I contacted them yesterday. I contacted them again today. And no one has gotten back to me with an answer as to what is going on and why did they summarily reject all of these contributions. I mean, we're just, we're in the same boat as so much else in journalism right now. Even the big publications are just basically begging for subscribers. And you know, we're in the same boat too, and especially because we primarily cover bars and restaurants. And because our sponsors have been primarily restaurants. Well, you know what? Restaurants aren't gonna have a lot of money to you know do discretionary spending uh, or spending on marketing for I'm gonna guess a couple of months. You know, until dining rooms reopen, until people are feeling safe and comfortable about going out again. So, 
for now to support us. I don't know. I'm open to suggestions. We have a Patreon account. You can claim a gift card from Patreon. Uh, we, you know, we've got PayPal. We've got a Venmo. I don't know what the right way to go here is or if I need to seek out a different crowdfunding platform. If you have ideas on this or suggestions, uh, you know, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. You can email me at Phaedra, P-H-A-E-D-R-A, at HoustonFoodFinder.com. Or, you know, you can shoot me a private message on Facebook, the two. I'm very responsive to all of that. You can even tweet at me on, on Twitter. I'm just Phaedra Cook on Twitter. Or I'm Phaedra Cook on Instagram. I'm Phaedra Cook everywhere. So anyway, that's some unfortunate news. Moving on to actual news. As we covered in a couple of stories last week, the payroll protection program and the EIDL programs that were laid out to help small businesses, supposedly. Um, EIDL stands for Economic Injury Disaster Loan Program. Uh, they ran out of money. So a little bit of good breaking news today. There are more funds that are going in. Uh, the White House and Congress reached that deal today. And $320 billion are appropriate is going to be appropriated for the Paycheck Protection Program. $60 billion is to be set aside for small lenders and community financial institutions. And then another $60 billion is going to go into the EIDL. I'm hopeful that this time around, the $60 billion that is set aside for small lenders, I, I'm hoping that translates this time to small restaurants and bar owners will now be able to get you know, some help, so some financial help. And that takes me to the, the next item. It's probably good that I didn't record a podcast towards the end of last week because, honestly, last week was just, it was crushingly depressing and, and upsetting in so many ways. Small business owners had been counting. I mean, there was this whole setup of, you know, oh, Small Business Administration, you know, we've got these emergency funds coming to help small businesses. And it was said over and over again, it's to help small businesses. And then last Thursday, it was announced the fund was out of money. And then, thanks to SEC filings, it started being revealed that these large corporations, these big chains, restaurant chains, had gotten millions, millions and millions of dollars. And the one that angers me the most is Ruth's Chris Steakhouse, which I don't think I've ever set foot in one, and I'm sure not going to set foot in one now. They not only got, you know, the cap was supposed to be $10 million, no matter what. Well, they used 
a loophole to get around that and they applied through two subsidiaries so they got 20 million and that's the one that offends me the most potbelly sandwiches they got 10 million shake shack got 10 million and whether it be what they said that you know there weren't really rules or guidelines we had to just kind of guess with as to whether or not we should apply for this thing so you know we did um and and now regret it because now the fun's out of money uh or you think that it was because the the pr fallout over four days between thursday and and monday was so great that they decided to do this but they they gave their 10 million back now unfortunately i don't know we'll see it, maybe now with the new funding coming coming down the pipe, it will actually get redistributed to small restaurant owners. It, it was just such a, a weird thing because you know the Shake Shack owners are known also for Union Hospitality Group, which are independent restaurants in New York City. So they know what it's like to be independent restaurant owners, and I guess for, that's kind of actually why I believe them. Uh, and, and Danny Meyer, one of those owners, is known for being kind of a, a thought leader for the restaurant industry. He was the one that was really touting the hospitality first concept of gratuity being included in people's checks. They don't have to tip. It's just kind of built in. And that's... That's an idea that, you know, it hasn't really made the progress that I might have thought it would. And I don't know. Maybe it's just a matter of diners want control over that gratuity. It's hard to say. But anyway, uh, either way, it was just crushingly disappointing. There were a lot of dashed dreams. And I think the message that a lot of small business owners got last week is the government doesn't care about me. They don't care about my business at all, and I don't matter. Like I said, with this new funding coming in, I sure hope that restaurant and bar owners will be able to get that assistance that I know they so desperately need. And with that said, it's this is a good moment to go to my first call-in guest, and it is Art Associate Editor David Lovewich. You probably have heard David already on the Houston Matters podcast. And I just, David has had our, my back for the last six weeks, especially. Uh, he has done so much work, you know, on these restaurant uh, to go and delivery lists. I thought those were very important. I thought. The, that was the most important thing we could do to try and help restaurants is just communicate information to the general public as much as we could for, for as many restaurants as we could. And I know that there are restaurants who want to be added that we still haven't gotten to yet. We've done hundreds. And there's more of you than there are of us. We're just going to keep hammering away at it and you know for as long as this situation persists we're here for you in addition to being an associate editor with us 
David is also the president of the advisory board of Food Waste Texas, an organization that preserves the stories of Texas food heritage and history. David is a food historian. He's had articles published in the Houston Chronicle multiple times. In addition to all of that, he has a beautiful wife and daughter. He's an amazing home cook. I actually, I haven't used it for a while. I probably need to pick that back up, but I have a hashtag called cook like Leftwich that I use. He's great. You can find David on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I think he's dlefwich68 on Twitter. Otherwise, you should be able to just find him with his name. This is actually part one of our interview. I needed to break it up. I think we've got 30 minutes worth of interviews. I thought 15 minutes at a time was probably plenty for one sitting. Oh, and the other reason why David's our first guest is because he was my guinea pig. <laughs> and I knew that... If I really messed up something on this recording, uh, it would be easier to tell him that I needed to re-record it rather than, say, a, a busy and stressed out restaurant owner. <laughs> so I'm pleased to say it all, all worked great the first time around. Anyway, here's my interview with David. You are on the air. How are you today, David? Good. How are you? Doing good. A any restaurant dining plans coming up this week? Not yet. I just usually play it by ear when I get tired of cooking. And of course, you're you're an awesome cook. I, I often see what you're making because you post it on your social media, and you've always done such a great job of of using local ingredients and farmers market ingredients. Do you get a lot of your inspiration from your farmers market trips? Yeah, I mean, I just usually try to use what uh, incorporate what I find at the farmers market and what looks good that week. So. I, I usually am winging it on my recipes or doing lots of variations and substitutions based on what I can find at the farmer's market and what's in season and what I have on hand. And you are in the Heights area. You've been getting uh, some some takeout food, haven't you, from area restaurants? Yeah, uh, definitely have gotten uh, takeout, you know, usually once or twice a week. Uh, sometimes three times really just the skin just kind of depends but yeah usually at least twice a week have gotten you know takeout for dinner or something where where have you been or where have you gotten takeout from let's see uh, have done uh, cultivari a couple of times have gotten food from uh, good dog have gotten food from local uh, let's see um have gotten uh, got fried chicken from La Lucha, uh, and also I've got got some food from uh, Kachara. Let's see where it is. And um, I mean that's kind of um, those are, those have been the main places. There's still some other places I would like to get some you know some uh, takeout from, but that's kind of been the uh, you know the main. Been you know just cl places that are close by. Oh, and and squabble. And we got I've gotten takeout from squabble. I was about to mention that because I distinctly remember when you posted about getting food from squabble, and I was so jealous. <laughs> <laughs> it looked great. Did you end up? Did you get the burger? Yes, I got the burger. That burger's irresistible. 
Absolutely irresistible. And those produce, I don't know if you got one since you, you go to the farmer's market every weekend anyway, but those produce boxes that they've had at local foods, they're just beautiful. Yeah, they have they haven't had them at the the Heights location. I think those are maybe just at the Rice Village one, but they've had other groceries. And I've actually kind of I'm usually just in and out, so I really haven't browsed, but the one at the one by me has had like they've got some olive oil and some pastas and some other kind of uh, dry, you know, like not produce, but other kind of grocery items for sale. Plus they've had, you know, wine and beer for sale as well. Um but yeah, those produce boxes ha- that I've seen at other, but there's some other Heights locations uh, like that have had produce. Uh, Antidote has been selling produce from uh, Finkus Chase Robles uh, that's available there, so you can get your coffee and your um, and which I've been to where I've been going, I've gotten coffee there, but you can also get your produce there. And they've also had some bread from Slow Dough and some other kind of essentials like toilet paper and paper towels and flour and sugar. And let's see, and I think, and I haven't been to Dish Society, but I think the Dish Society here in the Heights is, is I think all the Dish Societies are doing produce. Oh, um, that's right. Yes. Yes. And, and thanks for pointing out that it is only the local foods over in Rice Village with those produce boxes. But uh, they just look gorgeous. So if anybody wants to make it over there to pick one up, it's a great way to support farmers, too. And same with the produce at Dish Society. Assuming that there is no COVID vaccine in the near future, and I think it's a fair bet to say that there's probably not, do you have any ideas about when the the dining rooms reopen? Any ideas about like how your your dining behavior might change? I mean, will you be dining in? Will you be continuing to take out i think i'd probably i will probably uh continue to be fairly cautious and be doing takeout i don't uh until i mean to be honest i think the state is depending on you know kind of following governor abbott i feel like we we don't we may be rushing it a little bit um so I mean I think I will continue to be fairly cautious, and it'll be interesting to see if inter- if restaurants I, I have a feeling they will be will continue to be doing takeout and delivery at the level that they've been doing now. Um, I have a feeling, you know, it's interesting. I think many probably will, but I, I have a feeling I'm going to still be, you know, fairly cautious for a little while because, you know, to be fair, I don't think we've had we don't still have a complete handle on, you know, we were, there's under testing still, there's not enough testing. So there, there's still a lot of kind of, a lot of things up in the air that we just don't have enough information about, I'm afraid. Yeah, I, I feel like the city of Houston has had a more cautious stance on just like reopening everything than perhaps the state of Texas right. does. And, you know, the thing that they keep saying that we're looking to see is, you know, flattening the curve. Well, we have no idea. We're not there yet. You know, we have no idea when exactly that's going to be and when we're going to be on the down downward slope of that curve and kind of be more in the clear. And, of course, there's no guarantee that we won't see a resurgence in the fall. But I, there will continue to be ways 
to support Houston restaurants, no matter you know what happens. It's interesting because there was just an article today or an interview uh, that Lisa Gray did today in the uh, Houston Chronicle with a specialist in tropical disease and vac- vaccines. Uh, his name's Peter Hotez, H-O-T-E-Z. I'm probably pronouncing it wrong. Uh, but, he, you know, he was saying that, you know, Houston has been doing a pretty good job, probably early enough that we have been doing a decent job of slowing the progress or the spread. But, you know, he says there's not, you know, we're still not at the point where we can, you know, start slapping ourselves on the back and congratulating ourselves. And, you know, it's still, we still need to be pretty cautious. And, you know, he was thinking that, you know, we should be practicing some pretty strict social distancing till at least June 1st in terms of the models he's looking at, you know, that, that if we continue it then, that we'll have, you know, have flattened the curve pretty well and we'll have a better chance of, you know, you know, minimizing economic impacts and having a, a handle on the crisis. Yeah, and it's tough. And I know that we're, you know, asking a lot of people uh, to, to uh, you know, stay stay put and stay home. And I know people are bored and they want to go out and restaurant owners are sick of having to do all these strange backflips to keep their businesses open and, and going. But we really could just, you know, blow all of the progress that we've made if people do stop social distancing too soon. Right. We can make, yeah, you know, it seems like we can make the situation worse. And it's really a tough balancing act because, you know, so many people, you know, so many people out of work and workers out of work and, you know, and and few resources for both, you know, people who are now laid off or furloughed and for the small business owners. It's a really hard balancing act because it's, and there's a lot of, you know, pressure, there's a lot of financial pressure on both of those groups, you know, and, and uh, the you know, employees and the owners. And it's, it's really sad to see, see this happen. And it's really hard to figure out how to, you know, what's the best way to fix that or how to, how to balance public health with, you know, the financial crisis that we're also in. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, because of this uncertainty as to how long this is going to last, it just makes it so important that for people who are financially able to do so and, and want to do so, ordering takeout or delivery, especially if the restaurant offers self-delivery, is just so important. I mean, especially with the ridiculousness that happened with the uh, payroll protection program funds and the uh, the EIDL funds, so many small independent restaurants got none of that, and really, it's like they they have us. They have they have consumers. That's who they have now for their support. And so it's just really important. People just like this is the way it's going to be. It's going to be to go, and it's going to be delivery for for a bit yet. Yeah, and it's interesting because I and I think people are adapting. Uh, you know, I definitely I, I remember the first couple of times going to get takeout and places seemed really dead, and 
you know, the first time I went to Good Dog, or actually another place I'd been, I mentioned, or like, you know, or, or, or Rice Box, and places that didn't seem like people were kind of adapting, but, you know, I think the consumers are adapting to this. I mean, I you know, it's still not going to be, for the restaurants, it's still not at the level of when their dining rooms are open, because it's just, you know, it's going to be hard to replace those revenues, but, you know, but it seems like people are adapting in, in Houston. Houstonians are pretty good at adapting to crisis, it seems like. Yeah, I think initially people were just so shell-shocked. It was like, you know, people just didn't, didn't know what to do and, and what not to do. I have heard from a few restaurant owners, though, that starting probably about two weeks ago, they had some had actually started seeing business levels pick up. And I think it was just people kind of just getting acclimated to the current situation. That is the end of part one of my interview with David Lefwich, our associate editor. Part two, we'll pick up by talking about whether or not Houston really is a delivery city. Moving back to restaurant news for this week, HEB has had some success selling restaurant-prepared meals. People can go do their grocery shopping and, and pick up a nice prepared dish from some of the top restaurants in the city. At some point soon, I'm going to talk about some of the good things that have has come from this COVID-19 crisis. And this is one of them. I mean, really, why haven't grocery stores been doing this all along? It just makes so much sense. I realize some grocery stores have in-house prepared meals. I guess probably all of them do now. But hey, if you can sell a dish from one of the city's top chefs, why not? That sounds like something, I mean, demonstrably, it's something the customers are enjoying. So HEB has been successful with this. This is a great way to support some of the, the best restaurants in the city. And they've expanded that program a little bit. So they've added Cherry Block, which is Felix Flores' steak stand in Bravery Chef Hall. You know, it's you know very meat-centric steak and burgers and chops and all of that. And that meat comes from local ranchers. So high-quality stuff. Hugo's, James Beard award-winning Chef Hugo Ortega's namesake restaurant. Uh, Agricole Hospitality's Cultivare, and Brennan's of Houston, a wonderful classic restaurant that is one of my favorites. I'm always going to have a soft spot for Brennan's of Houston. That That is actually where our debut party was when Houston Food Finder was getting ready to roll out. That was our kickoff party, and the staff has just always been fantastic. They put such an emphasis on service. I love just the Louisiana Creole class. My my great-grandmother was Creole. That's a, another reason I've got a, a soft spot. And then Underbelly Hospitality, which is James Beard award-winning chef Chris Shepherd's restaurant group, and that includes One Fifth, UB Preserve, 
and Georgia James in The Hay Merchant. And I have a list of the dishes that are available, thanks very much to Kim Steinbaker of DPWPR. Uh, that's the uh, public relations firm for H-E-B. From Coltivari, there is Parmesan and black pepper penne pasta with charcoal grilled chicken. That's a hefty 22-ounce container. Rigatoni Bolognese. 44 Farms braised beef lasagna. From Hugo's, Tamal Azteca, a layered tortilla casserole, and it's a vegetarian dish. That's a, a pretty hefty 18.5 ounces. From Underbelly Hospitality, Chris Shepard's bacon sausage and tater tot casserole. I want all of that right now, and that is a big 22 ounce container. Chicken King Ranch casserole. That's another big one, 20.5 ounces. Chicken tenders and mac and cheese. I mean, who wouldn't love that? You could give that to kids. Like, I, I read that and I'm like, every child, unless, you know, they don't like meat, every child will love that. Chicken tenders and mac and cheese. How can you go wrong? The always classic spicy Korean braised beef and dumplings. Texas Wagyu Burger Helper. And I have actually had that. I think that was originally served at Underbelly as a lunch special, I think. The lunch menu used to change regularly. There were a couple of things that just stayed, but that was that was something that appeared and you bet I ordered it. From Cherry Block, smoked ham hock and andouille gumbo. Does that not just make you feel warm and fuzzy inside? I mean, eh, I could read that again. I mean, Smoked ham hock and andouille gumbo. Oh, it just sounds so good. Red beans and rice with andouille. And and listen, I'm sure that's some legit andouille. I am super picky about it. But Felix Flores knows meat. There's no way he would not serve some like legit New Orleans, Louisiana style andouille. Smoked catfish dip. Pimento cheese. And those are both six ounce containers. Braised short rib with cheese grits. That's another one. <laughs> Who would like not like that? And then from Brennan's, the very classic turtle soup. So all these dishes sound fantastic. They are in limited, they're not unfortunately at every single HEB. So listen carefully, I'm going to read off what's where, and hopefully something is near you. For Cultivare, only three locations, Alabama at Dunleavy, 23rd Street at Shepherd, Washington at Heights. For Hugo's, few more locations for that, same three as before. Alabama at Dunleavy, 23rd at Shepherd, Washington at Heights, but also Buffalo Speedway, San Felipe, Bissonette at Rice, and 288 at McGregor. That's close to the medical center. So maybe some of our hardworking medical professionals might get to enjoy that. Underbelly is at several locations. Alabama at Dunleavy, Buffalo Speedway, Bissonette at Rice, Beechnut, San Felipe, Bunker Hill, 23rd Street at Shepherd, Washington at Heights, West Houston, pay attention, Kempwood at Gessner. 
I don't know, I guess that's Memorial. No, that's what's used. Pearland at FM 518 and Highway 288. So that's cool. I always love when these special dishes make it out to the suburbs. Cherry Block, you can find at 23rd at Shepherd, Washington at Heights Boulevard, Alabama at Dunlavey, Buffalo Speedway, and in League City at Highway 96 and South Shore Drive. Brandon's of Houston, you can get that turtle soup at Bunker Hill at I-10. That's, you know, kind of Spring Branch area. Bissonette at Buffalo Speedway, Alabama at Dunlavey, San Felipe, 23rd Street at Shepherd Drive, and Washington Avenue at Heights Boulevard. So that's that's pretty great, and, and the dishes just sound fantastic. And, and kudos to HEB for lending a hand and supporting local and independent restaurants. Now, if I can only talk them into supporting local food journalism. Okay, I know, I know. I, I had to say it. I'm sorry. I had to. Anyway, moving right along. And other good news, Fiji's Barbecue is once again uh, going to start offering curbside delivery from their uh, three Greenway Plaza location. Now, Pickup is actually above ground, so that's going to be very convenient. You uh, must place your order online at <clears throat> fijasbarbecue.com forward slash menu. The weekday meals that are available, these are all in one serving increments, although they might be big servings. Might be for two, you don't know. Smoked barbacoa with pimento cheese grits and big red glaze. That sounds like a Patrick Feiges thing, I'm just saying. Smoked chicken enchilada with salsa verde. Pulled pork with sweet potato banana mash and braised greens. To me, that has Aaron Feiges written all over it. These are available Tuesday through Friday, 3 to 6 p.m. Pickup is next to the Primrose School in front of Greenway Plaza. Yes, it's above ground. They get to have sunlight. But they are going to continue doing what they've done the past two weekends. They're going to have barbecue pickup at the future Spring Branch location. These, these are all very traditional barbecue meats, and, so and there are also sides, which are not as traditional, I think. That includes brisket, pulled pork, chopped brisket, whole wrecked pork ribs, half turkey breast, smoked sausage, smoked chicken, and then Chef Aaron's amazing side dishes, braised collard greens, sweet potato, banana mash, loaded potato salad. And honestly, that's one of the things that I think makes this barbecue restaurant unique. The side dishes are not an afterthought. The, the side dishes are just as important as the meats. I think it's fantastic. You can make a meal out of sides. You'll offend Patrick, but you know, it, it, it just, the sides are so good. But the smoked meats are so good. I can't choose. I order all of it. Orders must be placed by Friday at 3 p.m. Pickup is between 9 a.m. and 1 p.m. on Saturdays at 8217 Long Point, and that is the Spring Branch Village Shopping Center. Just look for the tent with the Fiji's Barbecue logo. 
that's all I have for you today. Thanks for hanging out with me for this longer than usual for us podcast. The next one's probably probably going to be about the same length because we'll have part two of my interview with our associate editor and food historian, David Lefwich. Thanks for joining me. And hopefully by the next time I publish a podcast episode, we will be available to subscribe to. Take care. Bye-bye.